A reading from Every Moment Holy, Volume 1. A liturgy for those who have not done great things for God. How many times have I been told, O Christ, by well-meaning people, that it is my destiny and my charge to go out into the world and do great things for you? How many times in response have I prayed earnestly, asking that you would bring such things to pass, that you might use me mightily for the work of your kingdom? How many times have I then waited expectantly and waited and waited for that great thing, whatever it might be, to be made obvious? How many times have I felt then the gradually settling weight of disillusionment, of disappointment and confusion, when no great thing materialized, when no life-changing opportunity suddenly arrived at my doorstep, when no such moment of call or clarity was ever manifest at all? In the confused afterglow of those receding anticipations, I am always faced again with the unglamorous reality of my own life. I am always faced again with the unglamorous reality of my own life, of my ongoing failures simply to love well the people around me, and of my own ever-present struggle even to desire and to pursue a path of righteousness and obedience in my own small daily choices and habits. I am faced again with the same litany of tired, old temptations towing their attendant shames. And in such times, I am left, O Lord, wondering if I have somehow missed your call completely and whether I might just as well abandon this pilgrim path entirely. For I fear that you must see me as I see myself unfit for any service to you, or to your people, or to this world. So tell me, my God, where is the disconnect between that life rife with breathtaking demonstrations of your power that I am told should be the hallmark of my walk with you? Where is the disconnect between those fantastic notions and the reality of my actual life? which is filled with petty frustrations, mundane responsibilities, and constant reminders of my own failure to wear well the name of Christ. Was it wrong that I should even desire to do great things for you, Jesus? Am I amiss to plead that I might be mightily used in your works? Do I need more faith? More righteousness? more of your spirit? Or have you simply judged me unworthy of your service? Where, O Lord, do I go from here? Heartlifter, this beautiful litany continues with an answer for the intercessor. O child of God, listen well and be comforted. He has never judged you unfit for any service he has called you to. For it is in Christ's righteousness he has clothed you, and his measure of greatness has never been your own. 
If you would pray to do great things for your God, then you must pray such prayers without regard for how they should be answered. Pray them knowing that in his true and holy reckoning, such greatness will most often be expressed in a long practice of humble and sacrificial servanthood and not in any pursuit promising a rise to power, position, or prestige. His might is most often displayed as the grace that cradles and transcends our brokenness and poverty of spirit. If you would be so broken that the light of his grace might be more visible within you, shining from your chipped seams and shattered fragments, then by all means make such earnest request of him. Make them with sincerity and without reservation. But if the root of your prayer is rather some desire for a heightened prominence or sense of accomplishment and worth, either in your own eyes or in the eyes of others, then it would be better not to pray such prayers at all. Examine well your heart and motives before asking that his greatness be displayed in your life. When he answers, it will not be on your terms. For it is not you that will do any great thing for God, but God laboring in you and through you who will greatly accomplish his own good purposes according to the workings of his sovereignty and love. Be liberated now from this burden. Oh, hear me here. Be liberated now from this burden of believing that anything depends upon you. And so be liberated at last to give yourself to his joyful service in grateful response for the grace he has lavished upon you. You have till now been too invested in the results of your own efforts, as if those outcomes were a thing you could ever know or measure in this life. Be invested instead, dear child, in simple obedience to your king, in long faithfulness to his call, shepherding daily those gifts and tasks and relationships he has entrusted to you regardless of outcomes and appearances, regardless of outcomes and appearances. He will bring all things right in his way and in his time. All he asks is your willingness. Your heart is in his hands. Your ways are in his hands. Your days are in his hands. Sometimes the story we tell ourselves is not really true. Sometimes the story others tell about us is not really true. Here on today's Heart Lift with Janelle, we are going to learn how to rewrite our story. So pick up your favorite pen and journal, grab a cup of something delicious, and start your heart-lifting journey towards living a meaningful life. Hello, Heartlifters, and welcome to today's Heartlift with Janelle. What a delight to be back with you here. No guest today, you just have me. But boy, we have had some great moments last year and this year. You know, it's funny. Typically, in January, in my industry, publishing, podcasting, 
blogging. We take January and we review the past year. But you know what? This year, I was privileged, not only with having all of my children home for Christmas, but for having my older daughter and the beautiful grandchild she's carrying and my son-in-law home until mid about 13th of January, mid-January in a sense. And so I really didn't get back to, as we say in my family, my real job <laughs> until late January, maybe even the beginning of February, because to be very honest with you, I really hit a wall. I found myself in what I now can call it, as I have been counseling myself, a state of overwhelm. And I want to talk about that today. Uh, If you want to go back to where I share my story of how I got into that state of overwhelm, you can go back to Episode 5 of Season 8, Learning to Detach in All of the Right Ways. I share a little bit more of my journey. But then after all the birds flew away and I found myself back in my quiet home, Rob returned to work, I was coming back into my, well, I must admit, I was trying to find a new rhythm. And it was in that journey to go back to the rhythm I had prior to my holidays was where I found the tension because my body was overwhelmed, fatigued, and missing terribly having my family around me. So in some ways, you could absolutely (laughs) say it was a depression. It was at least melancholy that where did they all go? They all came in. It was fast and furious. And now they're all gone so fast and furious. And I love being a mom. I love it so much. Yeah, it's exhausting. Yes, all of that. I get it. But I really love fixing meals and having everyone sit around a table that's been beautifully set with candles lit. And we have vigorous conversation and we disagree. And I just feel like we're coming into the way I envisioned a family to be some 37, 38 years ago. And so there was such a letdown, (laughs) such a, oh no, now what? And then take into consideration that this Omicron variant has decided to rear its ugly monstrous head and numbers are flying out the wazoo and I'm hearing left and right and front and back deaths of dear people that I know and love from uh, COVID. And I couldn't return to my normal state of living. I couldn't reactivate my practice because I couldn't take the risk of bringing clients into my home. I practice inside of my home, which makes my practice very unique and very different. And I love it on so many accounts, but I also have to protect my home. My husband and I have a a family business that we've had for 33 years almost. And, you know, he goes out into the world every day and he encounters people. He goes into their homes. He's a kitchen designer, a bath designer, construction, and uh, he's in and out of people's homes. And so he, he himself is in puts himself in risk and therefore brings it home to me. So we just had lots of things to consider, which I know you understand. And there's so many camps on this. I get it. I get it. I get it. 
But for us, for my husband and I, we had to make a very hard decision to return for me to telehealth. And I have a lot of of clients, good, good, good folks that just don't receive the benefit of telemental health. And I get it. I really respect that. So it just was calling me to um, assess, I would say, to sit and think about, okay, I can't return to the rhythm that I was in before, and for good reason, because it was out of balance. I had forgotten so subtly to take care of myself. I started filling clients into the times that I once was practicing my self-care, getting massages that help my nervous system. They're not just for pleasure. They're actually medical in nature. I wasn't working out. I wasn't taking my beautiful walks in nature and and grounding myself in that way. I wasn't uh, working out in the home. I wasn't doing my strength training. I'm in my 60s. I need to do this in order to achieve longevity. And I want to be around. I have grandchildren on the way. And so it was a deep time of conflict, if I'm honest. I'm probably still in that conflict of how do I create a new rhythm and how do I work through and manage this state of overwhelm? So in God's supreme providence, because you know I I am of a faith tradition that believes that God is actually providential, omniscient, omnipotent. He knows all things and he is my father. And he watches over me with care. And sometimes he has to discipline me. And he has to say, "Uh, hello, hello there, daughter. You're doing it again. Yep, yep, you are overworking. You're overcaring. Yeah, I have lived in the land of over quite possibly my whole entire life and have made very intentional strategic decisions to move out of the land of over. You can read about that on my blog at JanelleRairden.com, just in case you're new to the show. I moved out of the land of over a long time ago, but you know, our old patterns, our old personality traits, they subtly, subtly sneak back in. And so there I was again, living in the land of over, 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 over. And in God's providence, he brought not one, but two books. Thanks to the beautiful algorithms that exist in social media, he brought this beautiful author to me, Laura Van Der Noot Lipsky, who I have all hopes of bringing to you on the podcast. First, he brought to me her book, Trauma Stewardship, which is a book that would would really speak to the work that I do. As you know, I'm a trauma professional. I work with people and I help them uh, consolidate trauma memories in order to move on with their life and experience freedom. It is a work I am deeply passionate about. But once again, even good work (laughs) can become overwork and overcare. And it came in as subtle as (laughs) just so subtly. And then I found her second book, The Age of Overwhelm, Strategies for the Long Haul. Well, you can see why I write books, because I certainly hope that somewhere an algorithm brings up to someone my book that they might need in their 
their state of overwhelm and they will get nine tools to help them become stronger every day. So in the age of overwhelm, I have highlighted maybe every other sentence, but I wanted to read to you a couple a couple of those highlighted segments because I think that they are going to be very, very helpful. She writes, even if life circumstances remain overwhelming, we can learn to coexist with them without we ourselves becoming overwhelmed. Let me, let me speak that again. Even if life circumstances remain overwhelming, we can learn to coexist with them without we ourselves becoming overwhelmed. Oh, I can hear you right now. Sure, Janelle. Mm-hmm. And that matters. Overwhelm walking beside you versus overwhelm binding and gagging you. Oh my gosh, this is our lean in teach teaching moment heartlifter. You want me to read it again cuz I think you might be scribbling this down. Even if life circumstances remain overwhelming, we can learn to coexist with them without we ourselves becoming overwhelmed. And that matters. Overwhelm walking beside you versus overwhelm binding and gagging you. Holy cow. I wrote in the front of the book this particular quote that she speaks, the slow descent of overwhelm. It comes like dusk and your eyes slowly adjust to it without at first knowing that the light is fading. This heartlifter is what overwhelm looks like. It looks like dusk and your eyes slowly adjust to it without at first knowing that the light is fading. Are you there? Is that sending off alarms or perhaps chills from head to toe? Because that is exactly what I couldn't express when my kids were home and when I was feeling that fatigue and I was, I was trying to figure it out because that's what I do. And I thought, when I heard her words, she put my feeling into words, which is what a beautiful writer does. And it does come on slowly like dusk and you're, you adjust to it. That's the part that I think we're all finding in this COVID going on and on and on and on. We're slowly adjusting to it, but not in a good way because the light is fading and we're not even noticing it. And that's just, that's just, I mean, that to me is such a beautiful definition of overwhelm. The proper definition of overwhelm, though, you know, I have to give it to you. It comes from the Hebrew word atof, atof, A-T-A-P, but it is pronounced atof. It means to turn aside as if to cover yourself, hmm. to envelop oneself, to cover. It means to shroud. It can also mean to be feeble, to be weak, to be faint. And this shrouding, this covering comes from the idea of covering ourselves from darkness. So, you know, we always hold things in two hands here because there's so many tensions 
So on the one hand, we are um, moving through life and we're seeing the slow descent of overwhelm come in our life like dusk and our eyes are slowly adjusting to it without at first knowing the light is fading. And then when we do recognize that the light is fading, I don't know about you, but I just didn't want to get out of bed. I've said that through the years, you know, that uh, one of the first signs of a deep, dark melancholy and a signal to depression is that you just want to pull the cover over your head. You just want to put the covers over and you just want to cuddle under them and not come out into this big, bad world. At least that's my my go-to. Or I want to close the blinds so I can't see outside in the world. I just want to close out the world and all of its clamor. But she offers us, she does offer in this book so many beautiful practices. And one is to create conditions, to continue to show up and sustain on any level will require a dedicated practice of metabolizing and transforming that which is arising within us. And again, edifying ourselves in the face of overwhelm with undergirding intentions of both. How can I refrain from causing harm? So on the one hand, that would be us personally, like as we are slowly sinking into overwhelm, then we go out and we offer overwhelm to others, which will create harm. You know, when we are tired and fatigued, I can tell you, we know that in this community, we are going to start being um, snappy and short and grumbling and complaining. We're going to start taking everything personally. Oh, I'm just talking about me here. You can add in how you begin to react in the world instead of respond. If you're living in a state of overwhelm and you're not realizing it, which was me for about four months there until I really hit the wall, but then you can go back and rewind and reset and look at that and go, wow, I became short. I became, per- I, everything was personal. I went down a dark road of depression and melancholy. I started doubting God. I started worrying. I couldn't sleep. And we'll get to that in a minute. So how can I refrain from causing harm, she says, and how can I contribute to whatever I choose skillfully and wisely? This is a reckoning that deserves to be done daily. Okay, now this is the real true lean-in, Heartlifters, and I'm, I, I can even hear my voice getting very teachery and uh, authoritative, not authoritarian, but authoritative, because in my work, I hear so many times, don't you have a magic wand, Janelle? Can't you just swirl that magic wand over me and... I'll wake up tomorrow and it'll be all better. There's a beautiful practice in counseling that we call the miracle question. And if you were to go to sleep tonight and wake up in the morning, what would your perfect picture of your world look like? Well, that's rare that that will happen. Um, There are suddenlies that happen, and I'm grateful for breakthroughs, and I'm grateful for the breakdowns that lead to breakthroughs. But at the core of true transformation— The core of true change is practices. That's why I wrote a book, Stronger Every Day, Nine Tools for an Emotionally Healthy You. And I offered to you nine highly strategic tools that when you know 
what and who and why and all the things about these tools and you begin practicing them in your life, you will experience breakthrough. But it takes practice. It isn't going to happen overnight. Rarely does it happen overnight. So as she says here, to continue to show up and sustain on any level will require a dedicated practice of metabolizing and transforming that which is arising within us. And again, edifying ourselves in the face of overwhelm with undergirding intention. This is a reckoning that deserves to be done daily. We have to create conditions to alleviate suffering and contribute toward right speech. Man, she is speaking to our threefold cord here. We have to make strategic decisions on a day-to-day sometimes minute-by-minute decision towards right speech, right conduct, and right action. To be able to bring our A game, we must continue to reach for and inhabit, where possible, some equanimity. And equanimity is just stability where we're bringing our nervous system into that beautiful state of calm and ease. I know it's easier said than done, but what took my breath away was her affirmation of the work we do here in this community that we have to practice a healthy sense of self, healthy behavior patterns, and healthy communication skills. They don't just happen. And so I hear frustration in clients' voices that their healing, their emotional healing, their new life, their new way of being isn't happening as quickly as they would like it. I get that. It's rare that it does because it requires of us, you and me, to do something about it on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute basis. Jack Kornfield, author and teacher, writes this, However painful our experiences may be, they are just painful experiences until we add the response of aversion or hatred. This insight is a reversal of the ordinary way we perceive life. He quotes Ahon Ka, We believe our outer problems attack us. We believe outer problems attack us. Only then does suffering arise. If we react with hatred and aversion, these qualities become habitual. Like a distorted autoimmune response, our misguided reaction of hatred does not protect us. Rather, it becomes the cause of our continued unhappiness. I think, and I'm adding this, that you could actually add in our misguided reactions of doubt, our misguided reactions of Comparison, worry, envy, bitterness, grudging. That when we continue to allow those in, they become our continued cause of dis-ease and unhappiness. Cornfield continues, in a healthy response to pain and fear, we establish 
awareness. Ah, oh, these are these are universal principles. We can train ourselves to notice the gap between the moments of sense experience and the subsequent response. We can enter the space between instinct and action, between impulse and reaction. Oh my goodness. So, so good. So let's put that down into some nuts and bolts because you know that's exactly what I like to do. And for me, this is what it looked like. I'll let you have a little peek inside of how I moved through my state of overwhelm mid-January and even up to right now because I'm still moving through it. I'm still asking myself some really hard questions about how I got to that place of overwhelm when in all truthfulness, I know better. I do have an emotional health toolbox, uh, but see, it's just easy As she has said, it's so subtle. It's so subtle. We live in a world that is filled with overwhelm. And so what do we do about that? Well, I know enough. I picked up some tools. I started to offer myself some self-compassion. I started shifting from that shaming to gracing. And I returned to our beautiful contemplative practices of stillness, silence, and solitude. I had already been creating a space in an upstairs room of my home for taping the podcast and the and making YouTube videos. And so it's a lovely little space and I feel safe and secure and it's so beautifully warm and sunny when it's sunny outside in the mornings. And I returned and I started sitting and being quiet. And as uncomfortable as that is for many of us, I returned to that place because that is probably the place where all of my transformation takes place. It's in the presence of God. I remembered Psalm 61 too. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock, capital R, that is higher than I. That's the psalmist David, crying out to God when my heart is overwhelmed. And we've already said that overwhelm means when I'm covered, when I'm completely languishing in the darkness that is coming over me so subtly. I'm going to run. I'm going to go. I'm going to get to the rock that is higher than, than I am. I'm going to turn to God who sees from a vantage point I can't see from. It, it, re, it helps me remember. It brings a state of humility. And that I'm, I'm not all that I think I am. I love the way that Laura writes in The Age of Overwhelm. She asks us to come to a state of less attachment and more curiosity. When she speaks of attachment here, she's speaking in my language, disordered attachments. Just a short review here, when we have secure attachment, when we know who we are, when we know whose we are, when we know we're seen, we know we have value, worth, and dignity, we don't need to look outside of anything else than our own hearts to have a sense of value or a sense of worth or a sense of dignity. Well, I had forgotten that. All of a sudden, my work was once again becoming a disordered attachment. It was. What is a disordered attachment in your life? Is it being a mom? Is it being uh, 
whatever. Attachment presents in many ways, she writes. We may be attached to our identity, whether that is a community organizer, a caretaker, whether it's about being popular at school or serving in the military, or if we identify as a parent or a surgeon or a manager. There's an edge to distinguish here between pride and perspective about one's role versus attachment. It's the distinction between a sense of, I show up every day, I do the best I can, but this doesn't define me. And those of us who have more of a clenched jaw when talking about how we make our way through the world, either because we are fiercely attached to our identity or sometimes because our identity eludes us. She continues, when we become attached to our identity and apply a storyline to it, we set ourselves up. We may need to untangle or detach, be sure to return to season eight, episode five. We may need to detach to gain a healthier perspective. She writes that um, their club swim coach even instructs the eager, dedicated young athletes, swimming is what you do. It's not who you are. If everything in our life gets stripped away, what will surface? So I returned and I'm asking, I'm continuing to ask myself these questions that she, she offers us. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Is this working for me? Where am I putting my focus? Three critical questions. So I want to offer to you another beautiful tool that has come into my life. And at the beginning of the year, I told you that um, I felt like receive was my word for the year. I love to pray and consider what would be my one word for the year. And I do believe that receive has framed the beginning of this year for me uh, to receive love, to receive grace, to receive mercy, to receive a call back to balance, to receive acceptance in the eyes of God, not for what I do, but for who I am, to receive joy unspeakable and full of glory, not because of what I do, but because of who I am, to receive peace, to receive the living water to receive God's presence and that I can just be in his presence and be loved and cared for and seen and known for who I am and not for what I do. You can fill in your blanks. (laughs) I'm just sharing from my heart. And as I reviewed, as you're, you know, as proper to do, at the beginning of the year, as I reviewed all of our beautiful podcast episodes, I started to see a theme emerge, and I'm going to close with this today and invite you into what I feel is perhaps a second word that is going to frame my year, and that word is reimagine. Reimagine. It's a beautiful word, and it really has everything to do with just conceiving and rethinking, rewiring. But I love that its root is in conception. 
the flow of conception in your life? What do you want to see birthed in your life? And I saw this theme through these beautiful episodes, beginning with Kayla Craig. And Kayla invited us in her beautiful work to light their way, to reimagine prayer, to reimagine this beautiful conversation that we can have with our God, to reimagine that at times we're going to borrow prayers, prayers that have been written as liturgies and litanies. In her beautiful book, To Light Their Way, there are so many. And she invited me into a beautiful new exercise of breath prayer and how to reimagine the role of prayer in my life. And I started our episode off today with a beautiful prayer from Every Moment Holy. So when we can't pray ourselves, we can borrow prayer. Or we can just have a a short breath prayer to just center ourselves and to bring ourselves to that state of equanimity that we're talking about here today. We talked to Pastor Rob Singleton, and he invited us to reimagine the role that social media and digital distraction plays in our life. And I have revisited that myself the whole world of being (laughs) over-liked, there's that over again, of my dependency, especially in my craft and the industry in which I'm in, how dependent I am on numbers. And even if that's vital in that I have to tell editors what my numbers are, am I dependent on that or am I truly just dependent on God? How much time am I giving in my life to social media? Is it really, is it what I value or am I going against my value? And so he's helping me reimagine how much time and energy and space I want to give to that instead of the deep work that I perhaps feel so called to do. Dr. Chinway Williams invited us to reimagine what it means to be seen in this world. I can't stop thinking about her work. And I've revisited that episode myself. Lori Wildenberg, a close friend, invited us to reimagine our past behaviors. And she was so vulnerable in sharing with us uh, her journey with her own daughter through the dark, dark valleys of depression, suicidal ideation, anxiety, And decisions that she had made in her life that now she wishes she could have redone, well, she's revisiting them. She's resetting them. And that's all we can do because we learned that regret is, you know, fully embracing decisions we made in the past, but then doing better in the future. And I brought to the table this important conversation on detachment, on how we have to embrace it and let go now so that we can live in the present and reimagine who we are and how we want to live this one wild life, as Mary Oliver says to us. And then Gary Thomas, in our last episode, brought to us a reimagining, a really a reimagining of our most intimate relationships. We did talk about marital sex, but you know, if you are single or divorced or separated, This is a reimagining of how you want true, intimate relationships in your life. And even when he talked about uh, 
blocks to intimacy, bedroom intimacy, we can apply that to blocks in intimacy in all of our relationships. And so today I invite you, dear Heartlifter, as we close, I invite you to reimagine your life, your one wild life. How do you want to live this one wild life God has given you? I'm right there with you. I am assessing. I am sitting. I am contemplating. I am asking myself some really hard questions that are challenging my life's work, challenging what I pound the table over, challenging me what I value in life. So I'm going to end with a reading of Psalm 61 from the beautiful David. He writes, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy of overwhelm. I add that. Let me dwell in your tent. Let me dwell in your presence. Just let me be with you forever. Let me take refuge under the beautiful, powerful shelter of your wings. Selah. Think about this. Take a minute. For you, O God, have heard my vows. Oh, friend, heartlifter, I've made vows to God. Yes, God, I'm going to move out of the land of overwhelm. Yes, God, I will not overwork anymore. Yes, God, I will not be over angry anymore. Yes, God, you fill in what you vow to God. You've hurt them, God. You've given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. Oh, this verse, verse 8, got me. So will I ever sing praises to your name. So will I ever sing praises to your name. Friend, I had stopped singing praises to God's name because I had allowed overwork and overcare and overdoing and overbeing and all of the overs to take over. But David says, Oh, I want to return to singing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. There it is. There it is. There's what we've been talking about. It's a day-to-day practice. If I have once vowed to God that I will never overwork again, then I have to practice every day looking at my calendar, taking taking time to evaluate, have I put too much work into my calendar to the point that I am now not taking care of myself. The author of this beautiful book in which um, it's a beautiful devotional based on the Psalms writes, when we are in trouble, God often feels distance. I would add when we are in overwhelm, God feels distance. We've pushed him away, haven't we? Notice David saying here, he's crying out to God from the end of the earth. He is wandering far from what is familiar and God seems far off. But you see, he remembers remembers his past history. You've been my refuge. You've been my strong tower. You've heard my vows. 
He's clinging. He's remembering. That's what I'm crying out to you today to do. And I'm going long, so I'm going to stop. But he doesn't curl up in feelings of overwhelm. No, he reminds himself. He says, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. And he says, hear me, God, and help me out. And that's what I want us to do today. So in closing for the third time, I know, I know. Thank you if you have stuck with this podcast. But reimagine, dear Heartlifter, how do you want the rest of the days of this year to look? How do you want them? How do you want to live in them? How do you want to be in them? Light a candle. Take a moment. Return to the greatness of everyday simplicity. And be. Until next time. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and resources, please join the Stronger Everyday online community at JanelleRairdon.com. Always remember, you, my friend, have value, worth, and dignity.